All right, you guys. So let's uh, grab your Bibles, open them up to Ruth chapter three. Ruth chapter three. By the way, Jason's with us this morning. Jason, wave. If you guys haven't had a chance to get to meet Jason, get to meet him. Jason's a awesome guy, brother, and it's good to have you here, bro. Yeah. So um, we're going to jump in. We're going to be in uh, Ruth chapter three, and we're going to be finishing up our, our rest acronym. Okay. And so we've, we've been talking about that, how the R is for what? Redeemer. Redeemer. E is enter. I'm going to enter into a, a belief position, Mike. S is what? Stop. And then so today we're going to be looking at the T. And T is going to stand for trust. So we're finishing up kind of a four-week mini-series within our Ruth series. And the whole theme of our study in Ruth is trying to find rest. So this is really what we've been working up to in this spot. I hope you've liked the book of Ruth. I got to teach Ruth in the Bible Institute yesterday. So it was just like, how much of this do I present? An hour and a half, and I've got a month and a half worth of material. So... One thing Jay Sidlow Baxter said about the book of Ruth, he said it's a bright spot during dark times. Because the context, the setting for the book of Ruth is in the time of judges. That's what verse one says. So it's during this really dark time in the nation of Israel. But here's this beautiful story of this beautiful person. Okay. So it's a bright spot in dark times. He said it's a choice flower in a rocky crevice. That's a cool picture. But we, we covered last week, we, we, we saw that, that Naomi asks, shall I not seek rest for you? And the fact that she had to seek rest implies a state of unrest. And all we have to do is think about our life experiences to realize we're in a world characterized by unrest. So we looked at that and... And then let's go to the next slide. What we saw, have you guys seen the Discovery Channel, Naked and Afraid? The Discovery Channel has a show called Naked and Afraid. And they take a man and a woman and they put them in some wilderness, naked, except for like this bag in which they're carrying their knife or pan, whatever they bring, a survival item. And they have to survive. And it's in it. It goes back to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter, actually Genesis chapter 3, where the Bible tells us that after the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and afraid and they hid themselves. And so the Discovery Channel's kind of grabbed onto that iconic root issue for humanity and turned it into a show. And, um, but what we saw was that unrest stems from unrighteousness. They were naked, but they weren't afraid in Genesis 2. But after the fall, they were afraid. They tried to cover themselves. They hid themselves. They blamed each other. They deflected. Ah, it's my wife's fault. God's like, who, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? You know, so how do we get 
back to the garden pre-fall. It's through getting righteous again. How do we get right with God? Is it through your works? No. Whose works? The finished work of Christ. Our works are never finished. And if it's up to me to be righteous, I'm never going to be able to rest because I'm never done. But if I just receive the imputed righteousness of Christ, whew, now I can rest because I'm righteous again. Go back to Genesis 2 and get out of Genesis 3. Amen. Okay, so that's what we saw last time. But to receive the righteousness of Christ, I have to stop with self-righteousness. That's the stop. He that has entered into his rest has what? Ceased from his own works. This is why Israel failed to do what the Gentiles and the church is able to do. Because they went around and they forsook, they rejected the righteousness of God because they were trying to establish their own righteousness. And you guys, this is... Every one of us has to come to the place where it's just, you just say, I'm done. I'm done trying to be good and get righteous through myself. I'm just going to receive the righteousness of Christ. I believe that God justifies the ungodly and I qualify. So wait a minute. Now I'm justified. The finished work of Christ. Okay, so that's what we looked at last week. Now, this week we're looking at, at, at the T. So. I've referenced multiple times so far that the nation of Israel could not enter into the rest of the promised land because of their unbelief. You guys know the story. Okay, so it's time to enter into the promised land. And here's what God did. He said, hey, before you go in there, send 12 spies in to spy out the land. Okay, so they go in there for 40 days. Then they come back out and they give their report to the people. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, were like, let's go. The other 10 gave an evil report. Hey, there's giants. We're all going to get killed. We can't do it. And then the people, even though they had seen God's provision and power, like how could you go through the Red Sea and not trust God to get you over the Jordan River? Like, how does that even make sense? How could you follow the pillar by night and the cloud by day and not follow it? In, like, how could you not continue to, to, to follow God after everything that he had done? That's the question. So here's my question, though. Why did God have him send the, 10 spies, the 12 spies in? Why not just like, move the pillar and the cloud over and they could just follow it right into the promised land. Why send the 12 spies? Because here's what I know. I, I know Mary isn't here this morning because she's stuck in an airport in Newark or somewhere because something went wrong. Okay, so we travel a lot with missions. And one thing we taught in our missions trip team leaders training is every step along the way where something can go wrong Something's going to go wrong. So if you can do a direct flight, it's worth an extra hundred bucks. Because you're going to get stuck in Frankfurt. You're going to get stuck in Miami. Your, your luggage is going to get lost in Chicago. So it's the fewer, Bruno's laughing. I don't know how many airports you've been stuck in in your life. Like Three unscheduled overnights just this year. Three unscheduled overnights this year. 
Overnight somewhere in the intermediate area. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, why create another event that's just going to hang up God's people? Okay. Here's why. Because that was a trial of their faith. They could have followed after Caleb and Joshua in faith, or they could have chosen the 10 tribes, right? Like the, the 10, sorry, the 10 bad spies, okay? That trial of their faith revealed something in the nation of Israel. It revealed a heart of unbelief. So that trial revealed something. They knew God could do it. They didn't know if he would do it, even though he said he would. So, so the thing that we see is that the trials that people go through does reveal something. So trust is a, is a heart issue, okay? We've already talked about how offensive it is if, we, if God gives us his word and we tell him, I don't believe you to your face, okay? But when it comes to this issue, wrapping up, how we enter into a position of rest, one thing we need to understand is that trust is a heart issue. So, which is harder to believe? Okay, so let's say I'm, I'm talking to a lost person. Which is harder to believe, this first statement or the second statement? Here's the first statement. Jesus was born of a virgin. I'm talking to a lost person. How easy is that to believe? For a lost person. Okay, how about this statement? There's a pattern in scripture called the tithe that God wants us to give regularly to support the work of the ministry. Which of those two statements is harder to believe rationally? The virgin birth. Which of those two issues do believers struggle with the most? Why? It's not harder to believe. You know what it is? It's harder to trust because this is not a head issue. This is a heart issue. And it, when we're talking about my pocketbook, now we're talking about my well-being. Now we're talking about my family. Now we're talking about something that actually impacts. Am I willing to trust someone else with my well-being? Bad. It's not a head issue. That's a heart issue. Okay. Are you trustworthy? Oh, most of the time. Am I trustworthy? Ah, some of the time. We laugh about that, but here's, is God trustworthy? Yeah, but why do we struggle sometimes to believe, okay, so the nation of Israel, that's for our example, 1 Corinthians 10 says. So let's look at this thing with Ruth, though. Ruth chapter 3, we're in verses 12 through 14. So we're at the point where she's down there, and, and she's like at his feet. He wakes up. He, she's like, hey, be the kinsman redeemer. He says in verse 12, and now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, wait, wait throughout the night, and it shall be in the morning 
that if he, if the other kinsman, will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well, let him do it. But if he will not perform the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until morning. Okay. Okay, so Ruth, this is who she's going to marry, is the question at stake. It's not what's for lunch, what's for breakfast. It's not, this is the rest of Ruth's life. And if you haven't figured it out yet, who you marry is kind of a big deal. Who you, who the father of your children is, is kind of a big deal. You know, not everybody is in private as they are in public. Oh, it got real quiet. All the married people are like, 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 oh, amen. Okay. Who's Ruth going to be married to? Boaz is like, ah, I'll figure it out in the morning. Go to just lie down and go to sleep. Wow. Okay. So Ruth, her entire future, whether or not she gets redeemed, her inheritance, who's going to, I mean, all of that is at stake for her. And Boaz is like, ah, just trust me. Lie down, go to sleep. I'll take care of it in the morning. So you, so look at the next verse. Look at verse 14. And she laid his feet until morning. And rose up before one could know another. And he said, and, and then they go on with the story. But that's exactly what Ruth does. She's like, okay. And she trusts Boaz to, to take care of her. He, she trusts Boaz with her well-being, doesn't she? Okay. Well, so let, let's look at this doctrinally. Doctrinally, the night, so, so Ruth rests through the night. Doctrinally, that pictures for us the church age. Okay? So, so the night pictures the church age. That's what goes in your blank. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, okay, is a is a verse that helps us understand that. Second Peter 1, 19 is talking about the written word of God. It says, We also, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? Than the Old Testament prophecies that all came true. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. So pay attention to it. As unto a light that shineth in what? Dark place. Kind of like Ruth is a bright spot in a dark place. Like the word of God we have is like a light that shines in a dark place. And so what we have with the church age, if we put the church age over here, Okay, is we have the word of God. So like the Bible, you might, I don't know if I could draw it so that it looks like a Bible. Okay, so here's the, the, the Bible, the written word of God, and it shines in the darkness. Okay, so this, it's dark right now. You can imagine this is all dark, but we have the word of God, which, which is light to us in the dark place okay until the day dawn so it's like the night is here but the so this is second peter one okay 
19a and 19b. So there's a point coming in which the day dawns and it's no longer night anymore. What happens? Until the day dawn, the day star arise in your hearts. So if we said like, this is the, this could be like the moon. This is the night. Okay. And then here's the day. Until the day star arise. So what happens is Christ returns. Physically, the day star is actually talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll put him here. Okay, he's, he's got a scepter and he's got a crown. So that's Jesus at his return. Okay, so let's look at some verses to, to just kind of get some other witnesses on this thing. So go to the next verse. In Malachi chapter four, talking about the coming Messiah, that's Christ. It says, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise. So that's S-U-N, son of righteousness. Okay, so Malachi uh, chapter 4, verse 2 tells us that it, Jesus Christ himself is the son. That's the day star of 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay, next. Here's what Romans says. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. So the church age is like the night. And if we were to put it on a timeline, okay, like Romans says, like we're we're right, right here, we're ready. Like here's a timeline. Okay, and this is when the sun's coming up. We're we're right there. We're ready for the sun to come. And so we're supposed to live a certain way. We're supposed to live as children of light, not as children of darkness. Okay, so next. Revelation chapter 22, verse five. So this is after all that. There shall be no night there and they need no candle, neither the light of the sun for the Lord giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So we're, we're actually at this point where we're not getting light from the sun that's not how we know it's it's the light is coming from the son of righteousness s-u-n son of righteousness from the day star who is risen verse 16 i jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches i am the root and the offspring of david and the bright and morning star so what we see from a doctrinal standpoint out of our study in Ruth is that Ruth is resting through the night, but in the morning, the kinsman redeemer is going to take care of things. It's going to be followed by a, a, a wedding. So you can see all these pictures present in that. Okay, that, that helps us a lot. If I was an Indian right now in Manipur, up in northeastern India, getting persecuted for my faith. If my village church was being knocked down and my family was being raped and killed, and I would be thinking it's pretty dark right now in the world. Okay, so right now in, in our country, we're still protected by our, our legal system from significant persecution. Some of you have lost jobs because of your faith and stuff like that. You've been ridiculed or Sudi, I know your family has... You, you, like we've had what I would say relatively low level persecution, but throughout the world, throughout history, this has been a very dark time in some ways. But here's the good news. Ready? 
The sun's coming up. You guys ever uh, get freaked out at night? Like you're camping. Someone starts, like cousin Fred starts telling ghost stories or whatever. We were uh, camping one time and we hiked three days in. Yeah, we were like way up there and we're fishing and stuff. And that third day, Kevin starts telling killer bear stories. We got each other so worked up. We packed every, so it's time, we are exhausted. It's time to go to bed, right? We're camping on a bridge. It was my job to make like a lean-to and his job to catch trout and fish, like cook for dinner. Like my, my, the place I made wasn't going to work. We So we're sleeping on this bridge and uh, we were so freaked out because it was dark and we we're worried about bears. We packed everything up and hiked out. What took us three days to hike into, we were back home by morning. I mean, we were moving. Uh, well, why? Why? Because at night it's scary. At night it's dark. At night I can't see. At night the, the sounds are amplified and my imagination is not tethered by reality when it's dark. So I don't know if, if, if you've had times like that and you're just like, I can't wait till the sun comes up. Why? Because there's something about the new day that, that we know we need that. So doctrinally, that's the case. And Second Peter 1.19 tells us to pay attention to the word of God as a light that shines in the dark. Because until he returns, it's kind of dark. Okay? Now, personally, the night and the darkness represent times of doubt and fear. We all have struggles. We all have problems with sin. We all have problems with bondage. We all have issues. We all have doubts and fears. And for us personally, the night and darkness represent that in Scripture. We know that in the beginning, like it was dark and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the, the darkness and then God spoke light into the world. So God brings light into a world of of darkness. Let's go to the next slide. Okay. Revelation 22, verse 5. We just saw this, but I just want to repeat it again, not from a doctrinal standpoint, but from a personal standpoint. There's coming a day where all the darkness, everything that obscures, and the doubts and the fears and the uncertainty, all that darkness and night stuff is gone. We're seeing clearly. We're, we're understanding. We're all the tears are wiped away. That day is coming for us. Praise the Lord. We can hold out. But also look at look at Psalm 42, verse 8. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me in my prayer unto the God of my life. The psalmist understood dark times, times of uh, in the night. Let's go on. Job said, when I looked for good, then evil came unto me, colon. So another way to say this. When I waited for the light, there just came darkness. He's waiting for the sun to come up, waiting for the newness, waiting for the, you know, the dark doesn't comprehend the light. 
the light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. And he's just the Job's like, when is the light going to shine into my situation? And, and, and I'm going to get that. Look at Psalm turn, turn with me to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, read, read along with me. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. So, so the psalmist is praying. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. The night just didn't ever seem to end. This is just going on and on and on. I remembered God, I was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. <laughs> you ever have times like that? I think we all have. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. So it's nighttime, but I can't rest. Hello, somebody. It's nighttime, but you can't rest. You're going through it and you just keep going through it and you keep going through it. It's like, well, why can't I just go to sleep at night? Well, because God's trying you. I've considered the days of old, the, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. There it is again. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. The nation of Israel had to send the 12 spies in because God wanted to give them a trial to show them that they had a heart of unbelief. So here's the psalmist and he's doing a self-examination. Verse seven, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Okay, so the psalmist is like, am I just forsaken of God? Is there no end to this darkness, this night, this, this trial? Okay, so I love that psalm. You know, for Ruth to find rest, what did she have to do? She had to trust Boaz. I mean, what's she going to do anyway? She could have got up and left. A lot of people get up and, and leave, but they there's really nowhere to go for the believer. All, the entire rest of her life was in the hands of Boaz. What uncertainty. Okay, so it's the same for us. Here's the point. It's not hard to believe that God can do for you what he said he will do for you. Okay, but in times of the night seasons when we can't see clearly, times of trial, doubt, and fear can make it hard to believe that he will do what he said he will do for us. So your trials and tribulations and temptations bring you to a point of trusting in God's goodness to you. That's where it leads eventually. Look at Psalm 116, verse 7 and 8. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Okay, so the guy's talking to a soul. Now he quits and he starts talking to God. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. Okay, so... If you're going through it right now, if you have trials and tribulations, I would just like to contextualize this to you in this way. 
This may be God revealing to you that you have a heart of unbelief. It's not that you you don't think God is powerful enough that he can do what's required to take care of you. You just are having trouble trusting him that he will do what he said. Intellectually, you know he's trustworthy, but emotionally you're scared to just surrender your life to his well-being and just lay down at his feet and say, yes, Lord, whatever, wherever, however, I trust you with my well-being. So here's here's a couple things you need to, to know. It's probably your doubt that's keeping you in the dark. You're like, God, what are you going? When's the sun going to come up? And God's like, Well, you're the one staying in the dark. Have his mercies failed? No. Is he not faithful? Who, who's waiting for who? You're not waiting for God. He's waiting for you and he's letting you go through this trial. Praise the Lord to reveal your heart issue that has to get right before you can enter into rest. So here's the T. You have to trust him during times of trials and tribulation because it's easy for me to go to my redeemer. Okay. It's easy for me to say, God, I believe you. It's easy for me to stop with the self-righteousness once I understand that, but to stay in that place do you really trust him with the outcomes of your life, with your well-being? And then, man, let the sun come up on your situations. Let the sun rise and dispel the darkness and the doubts and the fears and all of that. You can just rest in the finished work of Christ. Okay, so we've got plenty of time for small groups. Here's what we want to do. Okay. Make sure everybody has a small group. So if you're a leader in the class, you've been here for a while, make sure you grab people that aren't in a small group. But here's some discussion points. Consider this phrase by Raymond Edmond. Do not doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. What's that mean? Okay. And then discuss why we sometimes struggle with unbelief. Is it because we believe God cannot take care of us or that he will not take care of us? And which is worse, to doubt his ability or to doubt his trustworthiness? And then the last one, what does it look like to trust God with our lives and to rest in that provision? So like, like practically, is there something I need to do? Is there a prayer I need to pray? Is there an understanding I need to grab onto? So let's go ahead and break up in our small groups and I'll close us out. Um, I'll close us out at five after so that if there's something that we need to share from your small groups, we'll have time to do that. So go ahead and break up.